chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. I want to begin by placing this particular verse as a as a triad or as a, in a group of three verses that provide perhaps the most concise and the most comprehensive declarations of the glorious, gracious, and sufficient content of the gospel message. In other words, I want to string together three statements, and this would be the, the main one. In other words, this one verse is what sort of gives a platform for the other two verses that if you didn't remember any other portions of Scripture as a means of expressing the fullness of God's grace in the gospel message, these three verses will do it. So, And then after looking and connecting those three verses together, then we'll look at the implications of this verse in particular. So... We begin with this particular verse, Ephesians 1, 13, or 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because here's the content of it, here's the gospel. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Stop, period, exclamation point, underline it, hashtag grace. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now here's what we are prone to to, to, to ask, and it's only legitimate, it's only natural, that people would, want, would wonder what that actually means. What does it mean? What, what, is, what does every blessing consist of? Because Paul says here that God has given us every spiritual blessing. So what does every spiritual blessing consist of? And this is where Peter comes in, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So what are all of the spiritual blessings? And again, you'll see that it's, it's abbreviated, it's very compact. But Paul says that he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Peter tells us that basically what every spiritual blessing means is everything that pertains both to life and to godliness. That's how we can sum it up. That God has given us every spiritual blessing and so we start trying to figure out what every spiritual blessing is and so Peter has given it to us in code in a sense and he says here's what every spiritual blessing is everything that pertains to life and godliness that's what God has given us 
Well, that leads some people to wonder, okay, well, God has given us all of that. Then we may then ask the question, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me as a 21st century Christian living at this point in time and space and, and at this point in, in my life? What does that mean for me? And here so Paul speaks to us in Colossians chapter 2 verse 10. And he says what that means for us is you are complete in him who is the head of all principality. You see how those three thoughts weave together? Paul tells us in our text that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And because there are charlatans outside of us and all around us that are trying to tell us everything else that we need, and because we, have, uh, we lean towards insecurity, not thinking that we have enough, we wonder, what are those spiritual blessings? Now do I... Here's what we, he tells us, those spiritual blessings is everything Peter says that pertains to life and to godliness is found in Christ. So what, is the, what are the implications of that for us? What it means is we're complete in him. Those three truths are the most com comprehensive and yet concise expressions of, or declarations of the grace, the grandeur, and the sufficiency, and the excellency of the gospel message itself. And so as we look at this verse, I'll deal with it rather briefly. The first thing to note, there are four things that we'll be looking at. The first thing to note is that essentially what the gospel is, is God's spiritual gift to us. And God's spiritual gift to us is the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest of all of the gifts, as a matter of fact, when we talk in other places about spiritual gifts, whether it be 1 Corinthians 12 or whether it be Romans chapter 12 or even if it would be Ephesians chapter 4, the sp all, all of the other spiritual gifts are really aimed at helping us understand the greatest spiritual gift. And the greatest spiritual gift that we possess is the person of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing that Paul makes that he emphasizes here. That, that God has given us the spiritual gift. He has given us. That's, that's important. That's huge. The greatest spiritual gift isn't prayed for. It isn't asked for. We don't labor for it. We can't buy it. It has been freely given by God himself. And the greatest spiritual gift that God has given to us is the person of Jesus. Now why is this a gift? Well, because what this gift does, it, it, it helps us. It's the greatest problem. The greatest problem that we have has been solved in God's greatest gift to us. And here's what God's gift in Christ gives to us. First off, God's gift of Christ gives us the gift of canceled debt. Canceled debt. Now, to, to put this in perspective, I, I'm not trying to get in people's business, but let's just say you have debt, 
loans that you need to pay, whatever. And what if you went home and you got an envelope in the mail and all of the debts that you owe, somebody's anticipating. <laughs> what if all of the debts that you owed were in a single envelope with a single word on all of them? Canceled. Now, some of the folk that you may owe, they, they may be a little more, they, they may be a little more verbose. And so put it, rather than putting a single word canceled on it, what if they put three words? Paid in full. You probably look in the envelope because you say, well, no, that's not the way they sounded when they were calling me last month. They... It would be hard to believe. In fact, people have made this mistake before and, and say, wait a minute, I, I saw, you know, and, and it, it would be hard to conceive. So put it this way, now, now we're not talking about someone who is a human debt collector, but someone who is greater, someone who is living and it's a greater debt. See, the, the, the one thing about human debt is you can outlive it. If you can dodge them long enough, you may die before you get to pay up. And when you die, they're going to come hounding your grandkids or whoever, but they're not going to come you to you. The problem that we have with the debts that we owe to God is that we can't outlive that debt. And what God has given to us in Christ is the envelope of a man who has, when we open up the riches of the knowledge that's in him, what we find is that what God has delivered to us in Christ is the gift of a canceled debt. And then we keep looking, and what we find is that he's not only given us the gift of canceled debt, but he's also given us the gift of perfect righteousness that we're not able to perform. What he has given us is the gift of one because we come here in debt to God. And he has given us in Christ the gift of a canceled debt. And then he's given us the gift of a righteousness that we cannot perform. Now, if you don't think that's a big deal, the scripture says that without righteousness, no one will be able to see God. So here's what God has given us in the gift of Jesus. He has given us canceled debt. And he's given us righteousness that we cannot perform. Notice the way Paul expresses this. He says that he has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me quote Calvin on that phrase, in the heavenly places. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, when he says in heavenly or in the heavenly, it matters little whether we supply the word places or benefits. 
In other words, just as easily as it reads in the heavenly places, another way of expressing it is that we have spiritual, every spiritual blessing in heavenly benefits. Spiritual or heavenly benefits. That's wonderful. In other words, we have benefits that come to us straight from heaven. Or we have privileges in heaven because of the gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Well, that brings us to a second thought here, and that is this. The language and logic of the Bible is that heavenly benefits received in the gospel provide both the incentive and the resources to honor and to serve God while we are in our earthly frames. Let me repeat that. The language and the logic of the Bible is that the heavenly benefits that we receive in the gospel provide both the incentive and by incentive, the question might be, well, why do we live for God? Because of the benefits we've received. Not only do the heavenly benefits in the gospel provide us with the incentive, but it also provides us with the resources by which we are to honor and serve God in our earthly frames and our earthly circumstances. In other words, brothers and sisters, the, the rather contrary to what some people have, have criticized the Christian religion as being, as, a, as being a pie-in-the-sky religion. It's only, it's only good for when you die. And then on the other hand, some on the other extreme, I should say, some have made Christianity nothing more than a wishing well religion. Whatever you need to continue in this life, God gives it. If you, want, if you want riches, you'll get it. If you want somebody to behave, just pray the right prayer and they will do it. Here's what the implication, here's the logic and the language of Scripture. Is that the incentive that we need to live godly lives, and let me put that in context. When you say to live godly lives, to honor God, to serve Him, we don't serve Him so that we can get to heaven. In other words, the incentive for serving God is not so that we can win the reward or that we can win the prize. Our incentive for godly living is not so that we can reach heaven, but our incentive for godly living is because we, are, we have been given heaven. And so therefore the resources of the gospel or the, the, the gospel gives us the, 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 the incentive to live a godly life. Why do I want to, to, to love my neighbor and to love God? Not so that I can get to heaven, but because I am presently seated in heavenly places. So the incentive for our godliness is the, the incentive for not being content in, in our sin. The incentive for repentance and confession is because of the gift that God has given us in Christ, which gives us heavenly, heavenly gifts. You see, he's given us the gift of Christ. Because and, and that means that we now have, we have heavenly 
privileges. And the privileges is that God receives us as his own. So our incentive for godliness is the gift that we have in the gospel and not just the incentive. In other words, the gospel not only gives us a reason to honor God, but the gospel gives us the resources by which we can honor him. Now look at how pervasive we have spread this, how how wide we have spread this. The gospel gives us both the incentive and the resources to honor and serve God in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they may be, and in in our present earthly frame. In other words, brothers and sisters, when we put it that way, There is nothing that we don't presently possess in the gospel that we need in order to be better servants of God, to love him more, and to serve him better. There's nothing else that we need. We don't need to read another book. We don't need to have something done to us. We don't need to have anything cast out of us. What we need is a firmer grasp of the gift that we have been given and the heavenly privileges that are associated with it. That's why Paul could say in in Philippians that I've learned to be content in all things. And and the passage that many people have distorted out of its context and they, they have reduced it to mean only one thing. And so Paul comes on and says, therefore, I can do, I am more than a conqueror in him. And then he says that, that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And we always look at that in a grand way. We always look at that as, I remember years ago in the association, Southern Baptist, California Southern Baptist that we were part of, there was a big theme in our association, can-do Christianity. And I got tired of it quite quickly because as every time we'd have our pastor's meetings, they would start talking about can-do Christianity. I say, we can do everything but preach the gospel, right? But we forget to read the rest of that verse. And here's what Paul means by can-do Christianity. He says, I know how to abound. You know what that means, right? It means to have much. In other words, he's saying that in Christ, I've learned to have abundance without being a jerk. Everybody can't do that. I've learned how to, to abound without being offensive. But then he also says, I know how to be abased. Which is to say that in Christ I may, be a, I may have abundant things and I may have nothing, but I've learned how to do that in Christ. Brothers and sisters, not only can some, do some people not know how to have much. You know how some folk, they get, they get proud. I remember hearing the story of a preacher saying that, um, that a man went, uh, two fish were swimming along and, and, and one of them, or they, they looked and saw a third fish coming and he was just jumping and dancing and so forth and one turned to the other and said, look at him, he think he's something. Got him a new worm, got a worm up there and he just think he's something. Look at him, just dancing all over the place. And the other one looked at him closer and said, no, he just hooked. 
He's hooked. You see, he's not, he, and, and some of us are like that, that hooked fish that, that we get a little something. You know, we, and it's amazing, you, you see this often with Christians that as long as they're flying high, they tip the church and thank them and keep going. And then when the Lord brings them low, they all of a sudden they're at every meeting and before everybody else, and taking time to ask, pray for me. And then when we get right, we go right back to being what we are. Here's the point, brothers and sisters. God gives us in the gift of the gospel. He gives us the resources. He gives us the the incentive to serve him in Christ. And he gives us the resources so that whether we are up or whether we are down, we are still the people of God. We see that on beautifully on display in the early chapters of the book of Acts where it talks about those, and, and it's amazing, it's, it's hard for us in our contemporary setting of churches to imagine churches that are all over the place in terms of the economic stratum because we have churches in the good neighborhoods and then we have churches in the hood and then we have churches that are working class. Well, it seems like in the Jerusalem church, they were all together. Because you had some that may not be comfortable in some of our churches and some that we may not be comfortable with. So you had those who had excessive properties and and beyond the, the, the houses that they lived in, they had great wealth and resources. And they saw themselves through the lens of Christ in such a way that when they worshiped with neighbors who had nothing, they took their property and they sold it and they made sure that those who had nothing now had something. That was not a pastoral vision. That was not someone who came up with a plan That was people who were filled with the knowledge of Christ that gave them the incentive and that gave them the the incentive to see the needs of their neighbors met in the surplus of their own possessions. It was a big church in Los Angeles a number of years ago in celebration of their 100th anniversary. The pastor, who was a very prominent pastor, tried to encourage And he was, and I loved him for many things, but for this he was dead wrong. He tried to encourage Christians within his church to follow the pattern of the acts of the church in the book of Acts, where they would voluntarily sell their property and bring the proceeds to the church so they could distribute it to the poor. There's nothing wrong with reading that as it is, as it is there, and there is nothing wrong to say that God won't move on the hearts of people to do it, but it is wrong for the church to ask you to do so. Because that's not given to us as an instruction. Is given to us as an illustration of the movement of the Spirit on the hearts of the people to connect to the needs of the people in such a way that they don't consider it a loss to be able to freely give up 
And that's, that's the point that Peter makes with Ananias and Sapphira. He says, when you owned the property, wasn't it yours to do what you wanted to do with it? And when you sold it, weren't the proceeds yours to do as whatever you desired to do? And so it's not ours to tell people what to do. It's ours to show people the Christ that opens the heart of his people so that they would find in him both the incentive and the resources to serve and glorify and honor God in their present earthly frame and in their circumstance. That I can do all things. I can go through this. I can go through the valley of sorrow. I can go through loss. I can experience these things. And it doesn't mean that praying long enough is going to change it. You may live in that storm until the Lord calls you home. But in the storm, you'll be able to serve the God who gave you the gift of his son. Here's the third thing. The fullness and the sufficiency of our heavenly benefits can be obscured by either what is in us or what we are in. The, the, the reality, the fullness, what is it that we have been given in Christ Jesus? All spiritual blessings. What do all spiritual blessings consist of? It consists of everything that pertains to life and godliness. Notice that. All spiritual blessings means that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what we have. And what does that mean for us? It means that right now, as we possess that by faith, we are complete. In him, we are complete. You know what complete means? It means done. So in, the, in a sense, there is nothing that we need that we don't have in Christ. But here's the truth of the matter. There's nothing that can take what we have in Christ away from us. But the truth of the matter is that sometimes the stuff that's in us and sometimes the stuff that we are in obscures the view of the benefits that we have. Sometimes, and when I talk about the stuff that's within us, I'm speaking of our thoughts. I'm thinking of our emotions. I'm speaking of our up and down because we have all of that. We have things, we have attitudes and dispositions. There are thoughts that can travel the course of our minds that will cause us to, obs to obscure the reality of what we have in Christ Jesus. Now granted, some of our thoughts and some of, of, of our emotions is because we are trying to make sense of our actions versus our profession. Sometimes that's what it is. In other words, sometimes the Bible says that you are complete in him and yet you feel like a failure. And so then we go with what we feel rather than what God says. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, sometimes the, the sufficiency of the benefits that we have in Christ are obscured by other things, by those things that we don't possess. Why can't I be happy, clappy Christian like Joe Blow over there? And sometimes we forget 
And, and, and this is, I think, part of the problem of the church that we've peddled benefits that are not heavenly. In other words, we've told the unsearched world, come to Jesus and he'll fix all of your problems. I've shared with you in the past that I went to a store one time years ago, came back to stores right across from this, uh, this uh, church that believed in all sorts of weird prophecies. They always had interesting messages on the board. And so when I came back to my car uh, from this, uh, from, came out of the store, there was a track, you know, the ones they pass out, put on your windshield. And it says, you know, are you sad? Are you lonely? Don't you need more money? And I mean, by the time I got finished reading, I was, oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, let me, where do I sign up? I need all of this. I got all these problems. And then at this whole list, after this whole litany of stuff, you know, is it, are you depressed? Do you, do you wish you had this? You know, it's like, yes, yes, you know, help, please, anybody. And at the end of it, it says, then try Jesus. And I'm thinking, I have. Brothers and sisters, this is the reality See, sometimes we are obscured. The blessings that we have in Christ are obscured because we can't get over the distance between what God says and what we actually experience. And sometimes the blessings in Christ are obscured because we're, oh, we're looking for the wrong blessings. We're looking for something that's going to improve our decision-making. And when I say improve our decision-making, I mean something that's going to fix us from doing stupid things. And the gospel doesn't keep you from doing stupid things. We shared in our Sunday school class this morning that in, at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? Peter spoke up. And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven and upon this gate, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then he began to teach that this Christ, the son of the living God, must go to Jerusalem and be delivered into the hands of the religious leaders, and be crucified and raised. And Peter speaks up again. Peter pulls him aside and corrects him and says, Lord, no, I'm not going to let that happen. And the same Jesus who said to that same Peter, that flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, and I will build my church on the rock of what you have confessed, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. In other words, brothers and sisters, the same mouth that professes Jesus as Lord can sound like and be influenced by the thought patterns of the world, which is nothing other than satanic. Here's our reality. I don't care how filled you are with the spirit. I don't care how many tongues you can speak. The same ones, the same of us who, are, who, who will shout the loudest are subject to saying and doing not just stupid things, but sinful things. You see, 
our actions and sometimes our appetites obscure the reality that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And our what's in us can sometimes obscure the reality, but it doesn't change the reality. And sometimes the stuff that we are in, life changes. Life-changing situations, losses, family members that don't act right, and people that don't, all the stuff that just doesn't work horizontally can cause us to act as if we don't have every spiritual blessing. See, here's the truth. God's greatest gift to us is the person of Christ. And what he's given us is he's given us a bag full of canceled debt. And he's given us a righteousness we can't, we ourselves can't perform. But the reality is, even though what he's given us ought to be our incentive to pursue godliness, and even though what he's given us in Christ ought to be the resource that causes us to love the unlovely, the reality is the stuff that's in us, or the stuff that we are in, can obscure the reality of what we possess by faith. I was speaking with a friend the other night and he was explaining a bad situation that he'd recently gone through and he was anticipating what might happen the next time and I said, don't, don't do that. You don't want to plan ahead of time because we trust that God by his spirit, I, and that's, that's why there are certain questions I just don't answer. I don't anticipate I can't answer a hypothetical. I can tell you what I would think I would do, but I'm right now thinking in the flesh. And Sometimes when you are in that situation, when you've already made, you already have your speech. Can you imagine that? You've already planned not to be gracious. You've already planned not to be Christ-like. You've rehearsed it. Then we get in that situation, and God somehow, reveals to us in a more clear way who you are in Christ and the peace of your mind that you were about to give, you swallow it. I was sharing with a couple of preachers on the phone the other day. I said, you know, here's the thing about pride. Pride emboldens us to speak when we should shut up. And then it causes us to be silent when we should be speaking up. You see, sometimes pride will will put us out there and make us say what's on our minds and we forget what Jeremiah says about the mind. Pride also causes us to be strangely silent when we have an opportunity to speak up. Brothers and sisters, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
And that ought to be our reason for serving him. And that ought to be our resource. When we, when, we, when we run out, we go to Christ. Because as he says, in our weakness, that's when his strength is manifest. But the reality is this. The fullness and the sufficiency of all of our heavenly benefits can be obscured by either the stuff that's in us which grows from the old Adam or the stuff that we are in, so that all we can see is what we see. And the only thing that we trust is what we see. Well, that brings me to the fourth and final thing. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, God reaffirms to us the heavenly benefit that we possess in the gospel. So that, that we would not be overwhelmed either by what's in us or what we are in. You see, it's, I, I, I love the language of, of this verse because he says that we have spiritual or heavenly benefits. The spiritual blessings that we have in Christ give us heavenly benefits. And that's so lofty, heavenly places. Even if you use the phrase, in heavenly places, that's lofty. That is beyond what we are able to conceive. But here's what's even more amazing. What is it that will give me a snapshot of what I have in heavenly places? We would think something grand. That's why people are suckers for anointings. We think something spectacular. But here is the means that God gives us to communicate to us everything that we possess in heavenly places. He doesn't send us Instagram shots of the throne room of heaven. No, what he sends us is broken bread and a cup. He gives us bread and wine to communicate to us the great spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places. And what's supposed to help us deal with the stuff that's in us is what he gives us in these ordinary means. What's supposed to transport us to this spiritual high is not a liver shiver. It's not with everybody holding up, as we say, holy hands. And I always wonder about that one. Which hand is holy? And we don't have holy hands. But the blessings of heaven are not conveyed to us when we hold up holy hands of praise. The great spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places, in the person of Christ Jesus, is given to us as we hold out our grubby little hands and receive the elements of the broken body and shed blood of our Lord. And what he's telling us is in this, don't be fooled by what's in you. Because what he gives us is a body that is given and broken for you. 
And what he gives us is a cup that contains the blood of sacrifice which was shed for you. And what he's saying is don't be overwhelmed by what's in you. I know what's in you. Don't be overwhelmed by what you are in. This moment is passing. Here is our pipeline to the heavenly blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Here is the, here is the, the receipt that God sees us through the lens of his son. Here is how he communicates it. Not through a light show. Not through a liver shiver. But through bread and wine. He communicates to us in our joys, in our struggles, in our trials. He communicates to us that I know you're going up and down with what you're going through. I know that. But don't worry. My blood is still sufficient. The body is still, is still wounded for your benefit. But I know what you're in. And I know what's in you. And therefore he puts into us these beggarly elements. That's what the older Christians, these early Protestants used to say. Through these beggarly elements, he communicates to us the grandeur of God's grace. I, I think of Naaman in the Old Testament when, when he, was, he had leprosy and he called for the prophet to come and heal him. Long story short, he calls for the prophet and he gets the, the prophet gets there and takes him to the, the, the river Jordan. Dirty little river and says, now dip yourself seven times. And Naaman looks at it and says, wait a minute, we got better rivers where I come from. You're asking me to, to, to dip myself seven times. Oh, that's all you can say? Did you not hear? I've got leprosy. And here's what the prophet said. If I had told you to do something grand and spectacular, would you not have done it? Brothers and sisters, they got us running victory laps. That's what they've got us doing. They've got us trying to run victory laps. They've got us flopping like fish out of water in order to get what we already have in Christ Jesus. Here's what he does. He doesn't come to us. He doesn't come to us in a mighty way. To speak to your moment. To speak to your struggle. To speak with your trials. He gives us the beggarly elements of bread and wine. And by this, brothers and sisters, we lay hold to our spiritual benefits that enable us to ride out the storm that's raging within us and to ride out the storm that we are in. These elements reaffirm God's promise that he would never leave or forsake us. These elements communicate to us in the midst of our tears, in the midst of our struggles, that he's with us still. These elements tell us when the mirror says, you ought to be ashamed. These elements tell us that our shame is covered by the grace of our Savior. That we are his. And nobody not on social media or any other source, can bring any charge against God's elect. 
He's forgiven us. He saved us. He's reserved a space for us. And Peter tells us that we have the best security guard in the universe. That all of our treasures are being kept by him. And there is nothing that anyone can do, yourself included, that can diminish or change one gift that the Father has for you that he purchased with the blood of his Son. You have every spiritual blessing and you have, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus which gives you heavenly benefits. And regardless of what you think, and regardless of what you feel, the assurance is confirmed to us in this meal. And all that we hold up to receive the assurance of what God has promised and given are empty hands. Because it's the Father who graciously gives Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter if you got in yesterday or 50 years ago. We are all equally blessed in Christ Jesus. doesn't matter if you left the den of iniquity last night on your way here because last night didn't end until 8 this morning. It doesn't matter if you are in Christ or if you left your private chamber of prayer The blessings of the Lord are yours in the person of Christ. You want to know how to deal with your sin? Look to the gift that you have in Christ. If you want to know, if you want an incentive to do better, don't look out. Look at him. Don't look within yourself. Look at the gift that you have in Christ. Because God has given us every spiritual blessing in him, in the heavenly places. And so don't let your earthly confusion obscure your heavenly possession. And so God calls you to the table and he says, as, as Peter says, as he quotes from David, oh, taste and see that the Lord indeed is good. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God.